God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you today. Thanks so much for coming again. And we realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there. So we bring that service to you wherever you are, anywhere in Israel, anywhere in the world. And we hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and His promises for your life. Would you open in your Bibles to the book of Genesis? Of course, that's where we're still going through and studying the book of Genesis. Hasefa Bereshit, the book of beginnings. And today we're going to continue in chapter 22 where we were last week. But we made it all the way up through verse 14 last week. And today we're going to start at Genesis 22 verse 15. But since there's only a few more verses in the end of chapter 22, and chapter 23 is such a short chapter, we're going to go all the way through chapter 23 as well. And today we'll do something a little different. I'm going to read this all to you, and of course we put those verses up here in the video for you so you can follow along easily. I'm going to read all of those through to you today, and then we're going to talk about it. The reason why we're doing that is because it's talking about the subject that we're going to be discussing today. All of chapter 23 and the last part of chapter 22 is going to be focused on the subject that I'd like to speak to you about today. So let's read those verses all the way from chapter 22 verse 15 through that really short chapter in chapter 23. And it starts out in chapter 22 of Genesis, verse 15. And it says, Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, that because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, well, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Then it talks about the family of Abraham back in Ur of the Chaldeans where he had left from. And says in verse 20, Now it came to pass after these things that it was told Abraham, saying, Indeed, Milchah also has borne children to your brother Nahor, and Huz his firstborn, Buz his brother, Kemuel the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jelath, and Betuel, and Betuel begot Rebekah. Now these eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. And his concubine, whose name was Reumah, also bore Teba, Gaham, Taash, and Macha. And then continuing on in chapter 23, we're going to be starting that in just a little bit. So hold your finger right there and let's talk about briefly the ending of chapter 22. Abraham, as you know from last week, was going to sacrifice his son Yitzchak as God had told him to do. But right at the last moment, the angel of the Lord spoke to Abraham and stopped his hand, and he did not sacrifice his son. But then God told him, now I know that you're going to obey me in everything that I do. 
Now that I know you're not going to lean to your own understanding, Abraham, that when I ask you to do something, you're going to do what I ask you to do. Now keep in mind that last week we talked about how God didn't really intend for Abraham to kill his son Isaac. Yes, I know he told him to do that. And keep in mind, Abraham did not have the written word of God as you and I have today. He didn't have the Bible. And so he didn't know what was on the mind of God or what God would approve of and what God would disapprove of. Remember, as we said last week, Abraham was living in the midst of a, of a pagan nation, this Canaan, where they did sacrifice their children to these idols. Abraham didn't know what to expect from God. He didn't know what the heart of God was like. He was still finding out. Oh, he knew that God had called him from Ur of the Chaldeans to come to this land, Canaan. He knew that God had promised him this land that he was walking through to the north, to the south, to the east, and to the west, and that God had told him everywhere his eyes would see, everywhere his feet would tread, that God was going to give that land to him and his descendants forever and ever, an everlasting possession. And he also knew that God was going to multiply his descendants as the sands on the seashore, as the stars in the heaven, that they would be more in number that a man could number. But Abraham, here he is now on Mount Moriah, Moriah as you'd say in English, and he brought his son Isaac, Isaac as you would say in English, and he was going to sacrifice him there before God. Now consider the faith that must have taken. Abraham's waited 25 years for God to make this miracle child and to give this miracle child to him. When he was way past the age of childbearing and being a father, a hundred years of age when Isaac was born. His wife, 90 years of age, way, way past the age of childbearing. And God was going to give him this child. And now this child has been given to him and he's the joy of his life. And Isaac is the joy of Sarah's life. And it's just wonderful. And that's why his name was called Laughter. Because they would laugh with joy that God would do such an impossible thing for them. And give them this son that they had been waiting for all their life. But now, last week we saw that God had called him to sacrifice Isaac. And God wanted to see if he would obey him. But God had no intention of letting Abraham sacrifice and kill his son. That's not what God does. God doesn't require that we sacrifice our children like the pagan nations did. But he knew that Abraham didn't know that. And so he used this as a test to test Abraham to see how much he would be loyal and faithful to do what God said. And so God stopped him at the last moment and said, Abraham, because you've done this, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply your descendants greatly. All of the nations of the earth are going to be blessed because of your descendants. And then he goes on through that. And at the end of chapter 22, just like we read, he then goes on and talks about Abraham's brother, Nahor, back where he had come from in Milchah, Nahor's wife, and their descendants and their children. And you may wonder, now why is he talking about the genealogy of Abraham's brother? Well, simply this reason. He's laying the foundation 
for what God is going to be speaking of two chapters later in Genesis chapter 24. You notice that one of those names there was mentioned in the end of chapter 22 was Rebekah. Well, Rebekah is going to be Isaac's wife later, and we'll see how he finds his wife from among these people that are being discussed in the end of chapter 22. So that's what it was all about. And God was telling Abraham, Abraham, I'm very pleased in you. You've obeyed me. You've done everything. You didn't ask any questions. You didn't question my wisdom, my judgment. You didn't question my plan. You just did what I asked you to do. And God said, now I'm going to bless you because of that. Well, in Genesis chapter 23, then, let's continue from verse 1. And it says, now Sarah lived 127 years. And these were the years of the life of Sarah. Verse 2 continues, So Sarah died in Kiryat Arba, which is Hebron. It's the same area as Hebron. In the land of Canaan. And Abram, Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Then Abraham stood up from before his dead, and he spoke, he spoke to the sons of Het, saying, I'm a foreigner and a visitor among you. Give me property for a burial place among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Verse 5 continues, And the sons of Het answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my lord. You're a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead anywhere you want, in the choicest of our burial places. None of us will withhold from you his burial place that you may bury your dead. Verse 7 then continues, Then Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, the sons of Het, and he spoke with them, saying, If you wish, if it's your wish that I bury my dead out of my sight, then hear me, and meet with Ephron, the son of Zoar, for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah in which he has, which is at the end of his field, and let him give it to me at the full price, as property for a burial place among you. Now Ephron dwelt among the sons of Het, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the presence of the sons of Het, all who entered at the gate of his city, saying, No, my lord, hear me. I give you my field and the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of the sons of my people. I give it to you. Bury your dead. And verse 12, Then Abraham bowed himself down before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will give it, please hear me. I will give you money for the field. Take it from me, and, bury my, and, and I will bury my dead from uh, there. And Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him in verse 15, My Lord, listen to me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver, but what is that between you and me? So bury your dead. And Abraham, it says, listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out the silver for Ephron, which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Het. 400 shekels of silver, currency of the merchants. Verse 17, finishing up this chapter now, short chapter. It says, so the field of Ephron, which was in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field and the cave which was in it, and all the trees that were in that field, which were within all the surrounding borders, were deeded 
to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the sons of Het. Now, hold on, we're going to get to what all this means in a little bit. It says that to Abraham as a possession, all this stuff was deeded to him in the presence of the sons of Het before all who went in at the gate of the city. That's where the leaders of the city sat. That's where all the business transacted. That's where the deeds of land were, were transferred from between one person to another and with all the witnesses of the leaders of the city who sat there in the gates of the city. So it was completely official. And it says in verse 19, And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, before Mamre, that is in the land of Hebron, as we said earlier, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded to Abraham by the sons of Het as a property for a burial place. Now, let's talk briefly about what happened there. The way that they transacted business in those days were the leaders of the city would sit in the gates of the city. So people coming into the city to buy or to sell property or merchandise there would get the approval from the leaders of the city. And absolutely, if any enemies came against the city, the leaders of the city would see the enemies on their way to approaching the city and then alert the people of the enemies coming so that they could mobilize their army and deal with the enemy that was coming. But they would sit there, and they were the leadership of the city. It was kind of like Washington, D.C. is the leadership of the United States. And Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, is, the, is where the leaders of the land of Israel, Haaretz, uh, are. And in the capitals, well, their capital, if you will, was the gates of the city. And like we had said before, nations weren't so much what was going on there in early Canaan. It was more cities, and a king would be a king over a city. And the people would be together, gathered together in a city, and that would be kind of like their nation's city, if you would like. And so the leaders of that city were gathered together in the gates. That's where all the really important business was transacted in those days. So the leaders would agree with the business proposition they would witness it, and property was handed over from one person officially to another person, and that's how they transferred the ownership of the property in the land of Canaan in that city in Hebron at that area right then. Now, we've been focusing on the life of Abraham, his life, year to year, day to day, seeing what God was doing with him and through him as his life plays out. But now Abraham and Sarah are reaching the end of their lives here on earth. Does that mean that God's plan is finished? No. God's plans are so big that they're about much more than just one person's lifetime. And while in each person's life there's certainly big things that God will do, the really big things that God does can take several lifetimes for all those events to fall into place, for all the pieces to be put into place by God. And that's the way it was with God's greatest miracle, the miracle of salvation through God's Mashiach, Yeshua, 
who many years later would come along and free the people from their sins and from their death that sin brought. You see, along the way to that event for the revealing of the Mashiach, God would use several people throughout the Tanakh. And Sarah's life, while miraculous in itself, was only part of the total plan of God to bring salvation to mankind. Yes, she would have the miracle child, Isaac, and through Isaac, the seed of the Mashiach would, would be planted and he would come forth eventually and save mankind from sin and restore them to everlasting life. That's a big, big plan of God, you see. So even as we closed out chapter 22, the verses were already talking about the relatives of Abraham and their children and what God was going to do next. He's setting the stage for moving on Describing not just the things that were going on in Abraham and Sarah's life, but also the things that he was going to do down the road. He was putting the pieces in place. And he was already talking about how this child Isaac would grow. And he would inherit the promises of God that God had made to Abraham about his descendants blessing all the nations of the earth. And you see those verses were setting that foundation for what soon would be happening in Genesis 24 when Isaac, Abraham and Sarah's son, would find his wife, Rebekah, from those people described in the end of chapter 22. And then in Genesis chapter 23, we see that Sarah has now passed away. And Abraham is seeking to bury her in Hebron. Hebron is a fitting place to bury Sarah because it commemorates and celebrates Sarah's life. It tells of the story of her faithfulness, her loyalty, and her love throughout Abraham and Sarah's life together. The name Hebron, you know that in Hebrew names have meanings. The name Hebron has a range of meanings. And they, they go from colleague or united with a friend. It talks about how it's a, an alliance, a fellowship, a companion. It speaks of a lifelong dedication, a journey together. Someone that you're journeying through life together. Well, that's exactly what Sarah's life has been. She didn't ask a lot of questions about what God told Abraham to do. She was faithful, loving, and kind, praying along the way with Abraham, listening to the Lord herself. And God would give her instructions. That, and at times, Abraham, told, uh, Abraham was told by God to listen to what his wife Sarah said. He didn't tell him that all the time. There were times when God spoke to Abraham. And as a spiritual leader of the family, Abraham would be the one who was expecting to lead the family into where God wanted them to go, what God wanted them to do, how God was going to take care of them, and tell Sarah, his wife, about the promises that God had made to them as a couple. But just the very meaning of the term Hebron, that it was a place where colleagues, friends, and alliances, and fellowships, and companionship was there. Well, that right there, to have Sarah buried there, that was celebrating the life of Sarah because that's exactly what she was. She was a colleague. She was a friend. She was a partner with Abraham. She was an alliance to him. She was in fellowship with him and in fellowship with God. And she was a companion. Lifelong dedication of Sarah to Abraham and to the calling that God had given them both. They were journeying together, 
trusting God to lead them. They didn't really have a country. They had no friends. There was no hotels, no securities, no restaurants, no Starbucks. Oh, no. Trusting God for everything, every day, for all of their life. Life lived by faith in God. That's what we were created for. And what a fitting place for Abraham to now bury his wife, who was his faithful friend and colleague, who journeyed on this journey of faith along with Abraham as they both trusted God to lead them. And now as we see that Abraham and Sarah will now be passing from the scene, passing through life, God will be continuing His plan through Isaac, their son, the next generation. It's the same goal, the same plan, to bring the Messiah, and many, many years later, through this line of people, but it's a plan so big that it takes multiple generations to make it come about. And you could say that each person along the way, each generation, each new person that God works with, is part of the plan. And as believers, we should always be working on raising up the next generation as well. The ones which God will be using after we're gone. The ones who God will make the next part of His plan. Here's what I'm saying. Most of the time, people today are focused only on the things that affect their own lives right here, right now. That day, that week or something. But God is focused on a far bigger plan. A plan that affects all, kind, all of mankind. And your life is a small but very important part of His plan. And God is doing something far bigger than just the things He's doing for you. Although along the way, He's taking wonderful care of you and watching over you each and every day. But know this, your life is part of His plan. A plan that is something far bigger, something far greater than just your short time on earth. You need to put on your eternal mindset. You need to put that hat on and start thinking about everlasting things. You're only here for a short time, but you're created in the image of God. And if you believe on His, sign, His Mashiach, Yeshua, then you have everlasting life and you've got a lot more to look forward to. You need to remember that you were created to live forever. What do I mean by that? Bible says you were created in the image of God. God is the everlasting God. That means He created you to be everlasting and to have everlasting life. But the sin that came into your life resulted in death and took away that everlasting life. But His Mashiach, Yeshua, gave His life as an atonement for your sins once and for all. So that death had no claim on you anymore because your sins had been paid for. So you've been restored to everlasting life. When you start looking at life through the lens of eternity, you don't see the temporary problems and trials of this life as permanent problems. No, you see them only as temporary bumps in the road, if you will, in the road that's taking you to the kingdom of heaven where your life will be everlasting life. Only when you see the Lord will we fully understand the wonderful things that God was doing with us back during our lives on earth. You know, John 15, verse 13 in the New Testament, Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this. Then he laid down his life for his friends. That's the love that the Messiah told us about that we should be willing to do. But think of it like this. 
If you're willing to lay down your life for another, wouldn't that also mean that you're willing to dedicate your life while you're living to another? And that's what Sarah did. She knew that the Lord was leading her husband and her and that she would spend her life humbly doing her part in their calling, content to be part of God's bigger plan. Then finally, we see the land being deeded to Abraham. At this point, he had traveled through the land for years as a foreigner, all those years, not knowing what God was eventually going to do. God had told him some of these things, but here Abraham is now very old, and he's thinking, well, it's probably running out of time, and I've seen my son, and I know that God is promising me descendants, and I was going to sacrifice my son Isaac, but the Lord stopped me and said, he's really got to do this. And so Abraham knows that he has the promise of God, but he hasn't seen those descendants through Isaac yet. Now he's a native, though. He's part of the land because he's bought property in the land. This is another big, big thing talked about in chapter 23 of the book of Genesis. Before, he was just a sojourner. He was passing through the land. But now, he's an owner of land there. He's been in the land for years and years and years and years. He's a native. He's one of them. He's one of the people. No one can accuse him of being a foreigner and coming in and trying to take land. This is thousands of years ago, far, far, far before anything called Islam was ever going to come on the scene. Anyone else was there. This was the land of the Jewish people right from the start, and they would all come from the loins of Abraham. And now since he is buying land there in the land, and he's become an owner of property in the land, and he is a native, then every descendant that comes through him and through his son Isaac will also be a property owner of the land and have the rightful legal standing to buy and purchase property in the land because Abraham was an owner of land. Abraham became a native of the land. Therefore, all of his descendants would also be natives of the land as well. And Abraham has been there, faithful to remain there, live in the land, and now the legal purchase of the land that we saw executed at the gates of the city is not only his claim to the land, but it's a claim to the land for all of that would come from Abraham through all of his descendants. Through Abraham's purchase of the land and his life in the land, they are all considered natives from the land. They are no longer foreigners, but they're legal inhabitants of the land. Let me say that again. They are now legal inhabitants of the land as of thousands of years ago. As of thousands of years ago. Think about that. You know, we see the patience of both Abraham and Sarah since we now see that Sarah has passed away and that Abraham is near the end of his life as well. But yet you look at all of the years that God was working with them, the promises that had been made to them, and you see the amazing things that God is doing with Abraham and Sarah. And you see the amazing promises He's given to them. And now it's at the end of their life, and they've lived a long and fruitful life. And now they are wondering about what God is going to do next. And already we see God 
setting the foundation for what he's going to do next as the relay race continues and now Isaac takes the baton, hand it off to him, and he starts running the race instead, the next generation. Like I said earlier, it's so important to train up the next generation. But to train up the next generation, you have to take your eyes off of yourself. You have to have a vision that goes all the way to the horizon and not just looking at the things that are right in front of you. You have to have a vision that has everlasting things in the mind. You have to have a vision that has eternal thoughts going on in your mind. That vision will give you a proper perspective for the plans of God because God's plans will last greater than your lifetime. His plans will be handed off to your descendants and to their descendants. And God is doing something so big in your life. He's doing something so great in your life that it's going to take more than one generation. It's going to take more than one man, more than one woman. It's going to take more than one married couple to do the things that God has in mind. As you see the plans of God and how great they are, Understand something, brother and sister. Put your mind on the things of heaven. Don't worry about the things that are before you today. Understand that God's plans are bigger than your own plans. Now, that doesn't mean that He's not concerned with your own plans. Oh, He's taking care of you in miraculous, wonderful, caring, and loving ways. But he does have bigger plans, too, that involve you as a part of it. And he needs you to be the part of that plan, to be a faithful and loyal part of that plan, to keep showing up. But take your mind off of the things of this life and put them on the things of God. Take your mind off of the material things around you and put them on the spiritual things. The material things, as you already know, are only temporary. You buy a car today, you're real happy with it. It's a new car, it's all shiny, it smells like a new car. Many years down the road, it's just a piece of junk and you want to get rid of it. That's the way the material life is. It has no lasting happiness in life. But when you put your things and thoughts on the things of God, then you'll have lasting purpose in life. Put your heart to work in the things of God. Dedicate your life to being loyal and available to God to use. And then your life will be about something far greater than just the temporary things here in this life. You'll make an eternal difference. So wouldn't it be prudent then to not only have those thoughts in your own heart to be thinking about eternal things, but to also have such, a, such a, a belief that God is going to do this in your life and long term that you would be willing to train up to raise up the next generation. Whether it's people that you work with, whether it's children that you have, whether it's someone younger than you, whether it's no matter who it is, stranger, friend, or family, spend your life trying to raise up the newer generation to the things of God so that as you pass from the earth, which is just normal, the normal course of life, 
and you transition from here into heaven, then you will have raised up other people to assume the yoke and they will continue working in the harvest, planting and harvesting for the work of the Lord. That's a noble purpose in life. A noble purpose in life isn't just working for some company and providing for your family. Those are good things. But the big work that God wants to do will outlast your life. So prepare those who are coming on the scene for the work and to assume the work as you now are getting ready to exit the scene. And don't wait too long either because you never know when your last days will be. In fact, from the moment that you come to the Lord, start thinking about bringing others to the Lord. From the moment that you are in the work of the Lord, start thinking about raising up others to train in that Lord because the laborers are few and the harvest is great. There's a lot of work to be done. So it said, pray and ask the Lord for more laborers to enter into his harvest. You work with those laborers. You train them up. You show them how to harvest. You show them how to plant. You show them what God's doing and let God call them and use them. Then the work will be more than a temporary work. Then the work will go ahead and endure into eternity. And one day as you're before the throne of God, you will see not only the people that God used you to bring to Him, but you'll see the people that God used, the ones that you trained and raised up to bring to Him. And they will be children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren because of your faith. Put your mind on eternity. You're part of God's plan. And God's plan is a big plan. It's a bigger plan than anything you've had planned. And like I said, He'll take care of your plans. He'll take care of you in this life. But don't go through life and find yourself at the end of life and find that it's all closing up, it's all ending up, and you really didn't do anything that's lasting. It's all disappeared. It's all fading away even as you're in your waning last days. Don't be in that situation. Be in that situation as you see your life wrapping up that you see God has taken it to the next generation. And now you can be content and happy that as you let go of the work, you know that God has made provisions for it to continue eternally. And that one day you'll see the eternal fruits of that labor, that work that you did where God had put eternity in your mind. And you made that decision that day, that week, that month. You made that decision that year that from now on, I'm going to take my eyes off of the temporary things of this life. I'm going to put my eyes on the things of the kingdom of heaven. I'm not concerned anymore about bringing up treasures for myself in this physical, temporary, materialistic life. I'm going to be concerned about laying up treasures in heaven where things can't destroy those treasures, where thieves can't break in and steal those treasures. I'm going to be laboring for things that cannot be taken away, things that will endure, things that I will enjoy throughout eternity in the eternal kingdom, the everlasting kingdom of heaven. As we see Sarah's life being talked about today and wrapping up, we're celebrating the life of a person 
whose life was dedicated to loyalty to the Lord, a person whose life was dedicated to serving the Lord and to being faithful with her companion, Abraham, and going through life hand in hand together. A married couple who had been joined together as one in the eyes of God, now going through life as one, being led by God as one, enjoying what God is doing by one. See as one, seeing the things that God has done, the wondrous miracles that He's doing. They're seeing these as one person, enjoying them together with someone to share that joy. This is what God had for them. It's a greater journey than anything they could have planned for themselves. It's a more wonderful time on earth than any plan that they could have set back in Ur of the Chaldeans and planned for themselves. Look at the journey that God has taken them on. Look at the promises that God has given to them. And now these thousands of years later, look at what God has done through them. Their lives still being proclaimed as an inspiration, as someone to look to as an example of faith in God. In fact, Abraham himself was called the father of our faith. And also to the Jewish people. This is faith in the one true God, the living God who created heaven and earth. You, my brother and sister, are not here just for the purposes of this world. You're here for God. And He has a plan for your life. I know you have plans for yourself, and God will bless you in those things as well. But you really are here for something far more high far higher and far more noble. You are here for the plans of God, and He wants you to be a part of His plan. Amen. Well, that wraps up our study for today as we see how God is now continuing His plan toward the coming of the Messiah, this all-important Messiah who will free mankind from the sin and death and hopelessness that sin has brought. God's putting all the pieces into place as He brings His plan together. And while most people will not even realize that God is interested in their life, those who seek God are being used by Him and are part of His plan. Is your life in His hands? Or are you just living for your own life? Or are you living for something greater than simply surviving? You were created for something higher for something far more noble than simple animal-like existence and survival. God wants you to be a part of something far more important, something eternal, something that makes an everlasting difference in the world around you. He wants you to be part of His plan. Will you give your life to Him to use? Will you give your life to Him today? Why don't you give it to Him right now? If you call out to Him, He'll hear that cry and He'll answer you. He'll rescue you from the darkness you're in and, and He'll shine His light on your heart and, get, and give you newness of life. He'll change you into a new person. Throw away all those past failures. and You'll be made completely new. Given a new start. And He'll give you everlasting life in heaven and that's guaranteed by God Himself. Just like God guaranteed His promises to Abraham and then He fulfilled them, God will guarantee everlasting life to you and He will fulfill that for you. 
I want to give you an opportunity to believe in Jesus as the Messiah and Lord today and to receive God's peace in your life, this everlasting life that we're talking about. You can be saved and given this everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. Just pray something like this. You can even repeat it after me if you'd like. Just, just say simply from the heart, God, I do want to know you. I do want to have real peace in life. I believe on your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. Please forgive all my sins, Lord. I give my life to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I'll tell you something. God heard you, and He's already started working in your life. A little seed's been planted deep down in your heart, and over time, you're going to begin to see the wonderful changes that God's making in your heart. Get in a good Bible-based church. Learn about Him every day in His Word. Talk to God every day in prayer. He's going to do beautiful things in your life.